One day I was going through the scriptures, and in this particular Bible, I happened to look in the marginal reference to one of my favorite stories, the story of Solomon, when he got the wisdom. So let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, on your device or your Bible, uh, whatever you have. Um, everybody knows that Solomon asked for wisdom. God even said that he asked for wisdom. So that's, you know, I take it, take it, take it. Um, when God says wisdom, I believe that. But we're going to discuss today the how of the wisdom. And there's a, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a linguist, and I don't know biblical languages, but I can read in a marginal reference of the Bible when it says T for translation. I can read that, and this is what it said. When, when it says, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. For the word understanding, an understanding heart, over at the margin, it said literally hearing. A hearing heart. And of course, the heart stands for the mind. And so I looked the word up, and it's the word Shema or... Uh, Shema, excuse me, it's like, the A I think is like, as in hat, Shema, Shema, (laughs) okay. This word, in in Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, there is a prayer, and it's called the, I call it the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the three most popular words in the Hebrew language are, number one, Shalom, Number two, Shabbat, or Sabbath. And number three, Shema. To hear is what it means. 785 times in the King James Bible, it's translated simply to hear. Okay? So, I imagine Solomon with the Queen of Sheba. And I've actually seen some of these fake flowers. You know, she tested them, we're told. This is from outside the Bible. With a fake flower, you know. And I've actually seen some of these. And they make them out of a kind of wood that is so soft. And then they they dip them in oil. And they scent them. And you can pinch off a piece of this colored, scented wood. And you don't even know that it's wood. You think it's a flower. I mean, it's perfect. And... I picture Solomon uh, given, you know, the two flowers, which one is the real flower. I just picture him sending up a little flare prayer. And this quick response comes back. He's, he's got the gift of hearing. And God just darts the, the, the thought of a bee into his mind. A bee would know. Of course. So he puts them out at the windowsill and, you know, waits and talks and whatever. And eventually the bee lands on the right one, of course. And uh, so I wondered, what were the conditions that enabled Solomon to hear? And one of the um, key points is just a few verses back. Um, Verse 7, 
First Kings chapter 3, verse 7. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Now, I want to ask you a question. Was that true? Was Solomon a little child? Did he not know how to go out or come in? It was basically false, but really true. See, he didn't know how else to describe it to God. But his father normally would live out his life, and then after his father died, he would become king. Instead, he's king right away. And he's had to do some awful things and taking care of some people that, you know, his dad said he would hands off and whatever. And it's horrible. And he's king and he feels like a little child. He really, in comparison to being ready to be king, he feels like a little child. I don't, I don't know. Beans from buckshot. You know, we use expressions today. And he was not trying to lie to God. He was trying to give to God the way he really felt. What would you describe that? I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or, or come in. What, what, he's humble. Humble. He's feeling his need. He's feeling his need. He's humble. Now, in Scripture, there's lots of things that we're told to go to God for. But God says, with regards to, to humility, he says, humble yourselves. Now, that's interesting. Humble yourselves. I couldn't understand that. I thought, man, why wouldn't God do that for us, you know? We have to recognize our true power. Zero. <laughs> when Jesus said, all power is given to me on heaven and earth, that means we have zero. <laughs> you know? Jesus even said, even the words I speak are not my own. So we have to recognize it ourselves that of ourselves we can do nothing. But through Christ we can do all things. So um, humility is something that we have to recognize. It's kind of like the Clydesdale horse. A Clydesdale horse, I mean, I don't know, maybe you think another horse is better or whatever. That's fine. But this thing is so powerful that it doesn't have to prove who it is. It's just plain one powerful. It can be very meek. It can, be, it can step over things. It can be very gentle. It doesn't have to prove who it is. And um, we're told that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. You know, And Moses was very powerful. He was well-educated. He had lots of things going for it. You know, there's a cartoon. It's called Eek and Meek. And it's kind of a wimpy person, you know, and, and uh, don't like to read it. It's just nothing. But that's not what humility is all about. That's not what meekness is all about. Meekness, humility, all what's talking about here is an assurance in God and what he is able to do. He's the one who's all-powerful. And uh, so Solomon, at the beginning of his life, he had this meekness. He had this humility. And so God could give him this gift of hearing. I had a friend. Um, you know what they say about birds of a feather? 
<laughs> this friend was in prison up here at the Washington State Penitentiary. He had robbed a liquor store and uh, wanted to get drug money. And every Sunday I'd go up and see my friend Tim. And I'd say, Tim, you've got to read the Bible with a different heart. You've just got to say, God, what are you saying to me? And uh, I kept talking to him and talking to him. Six months went by, and he still wasn't reading Scripture with a, with a humble heart. God, what are you saying to me? Well, uh, Tim, unbeknownst to me, was using drugs up at the Washington State Penitentiary. He continued to use drugs. And uh, pretty soon, the people who he was getting drugs from on credit... They said, no more. And you've got to raise some money. You've got to call your friends, and you've got to have them send some money up here. They call it script up there is what they use. And so he called me. And uh, I said, no, Tim, I can't help you. And I talked with the family, and I said, we've got to cut Tim off. Either God can save him, um, he's going to depend on God, or not. And so we all agreed, we're not going to give Tim any money. I finally got... A call from the guy that was going to kill him. Okay? It's getting really serious now. And God worked a miracle and delivered uh, Tim from a certain fate of death. Uh, he liked to play rock guitar. And uh, he had one of those soundproof booths reserved for a certain night. And that's when they were going to knife him. Because when he screamed out, they couldn't hear. And uh, the night that he was to be killed, he was moved to minimum security from, from medium. And so he was saved. But because of all the pressure, and because they can get you almost anywhere, you know, they have connections, <laughs> um, he was still a little worried. And so he, he came walking out, because I actually got to see him outside when he was in uh, minimum, came walking out to the picnic table, and I said, Tim, there's something different about you. Well, am I weird? You know, I said, no, you just don't seem as arrogant as you normally are. <laughs> he said, well, something happened to me yesterday. He said, I was reading the Bible like you've been saying with a hearing heart. And he said, I started in the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, that's not what I, what I would have told him to start. But God knew just how to speak to his heart. And you know, it talks about um, vanity a lot in there, and that's, that's Tim. He said, Tim, you make yourself overwise. These few verses of Scripture just jumped out, and he heard it. And he agreed with God, and he just said, Okay, God, you're right. I make myself overwise. And when God speaks, and you receive it, God has already worked the miracle. He's already done something. Now, sometimes it's like a seed that he plants, but sometimes it's obvious right away. When he came walking out, he didn't walk with the same swagger that Tim normally walked with. And uh, uh, anyway, that's uh, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the gift of hearing. So the first point is that God has a gift uh, he gave it to Solomon, and that he wants to give it to all of us. I mean, it's God that has the power. 
Solomon really wasn't wise. God was wise, and he heard it. Um, has God ever appeared to you in a dream by night and, and given you the same offer that he's given to, to Solomon? You know, you name it, you got it. How many of you have had that experience? I haven't either, okay. But I found another text in the Bible. It's Isaiah 30, 21. You already know this one by heart. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right or turn to the left. That is the very same thing that Solomon asked for. In Isaiah 30, 21, God promises it to all of us. Your ears shall hear. So, uh, first point, God has a gift. The same gift that he gave to Solomon, he wants to give to all of us. Second point, in order to receive this gift, we have to have humility. And uh, uh, Ellen White writes in Ministry of Healing, uh, no, 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 I'm going to give you a different one. Uh, give you two texts. Um, Psalm 25, verse 9. He leads the humble in what is right, and the humble he teaches his way. You might know it in the King James. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Humble is another word that's acceptable for that. Psalm 25, verse 9. Oh, and I already read the other one. 1 Kings 3, 7. I'm but a little child. Okay, first point. God gave a gift to Solomon, and that gift could be ours. Second point, in order to receive the gift, we must have humility. Third point, Ministry of Healing, page 58 says, We must individually hear him speaking to the heart. When every other voice is hushed, and in quietness we wait before him, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. Uh, I see a lot of people with, you know, they're running and they've got earbuds in and there's always something going on. It's quietness that makes more distinct the voice of God to the soul. Uh, I was down, we own a hot springs in a little ghost town. And I took a fellow down there that worked for a three and a half billion dollar company. And I said, hey, let's go for a hike. And so we hiked and hiked and it's in the winter time and it's cold and everything. And I said, I'm just going to leave you alone up here on this ridge. And I'm going to go do a little loop or whatever. And I'll come back. I'll, I'll get you. He said, I felt more alone when I was there sitting up on that ridge than any place I've ever been before. Sometimes we're not comfortable with ourselves and quietness and aloneness. But... Uh, um, we need that if we want to learn God's still small voice. It's quietness that it makes it more distinct. Jesus said in John 10, verse 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow. And they follow. My sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So Christ's sheep know his voice, and they follow it. <laughs> okay? Well, what if the sheep don't want to follow? 
I was uh, waiting for an attorney. I just felt prompted. I needed to go talk to this attorney. I know him. And uh, he doesn't know the Lord. And uh, I had an appointment at, back down at Grabon at 10 o'clock or something. And so I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And I told the, the secretary there that I was waiting for, for this attorney. His name's Jim. And uh, finally, at about a quarter to 10, I'm thinking, I can't wait here any longer. I've got I've to go. I've got this appointment down at, at Grabon. <coughs> so I got my car, started it up. Went out of the parking lot, started heading in the most direct way back to my office. At the first block, that prompting, that just that, that fleeting thing we call hearing, says, turn left. Well, I can get to grab on that way. That's probably just a, another way, and maybe it's traffic this way, so maybe I can get there faster this way. So I turned left. Not much risk there. And uh, get to the end of that block, turn left again. Oh, no. <laughs> get back to the end of that block, turn left again. I mean, I've got to go back in there. But, Lord, I have an appointment at 10. What's going to happen if I miss this appointment? Well, have you ever missed an appointment before in your life? You know? In my steps to Christ, it reads, we're to lay all of our plans at his feet. All of them. Today's plan, five-year plan, Everything. We're to lay it at his feet, to be given up or carried out as he shall direct. Well, Lord, what am I going to say to the secretary? I've just told her that I had an appointment I have to go to, and that I had to leave, and I couldn't wait anymore. How how am I going to explain that? It doesn't matter if you look foolish obeying God's voice. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I just walked in, and I said, you know, I changed my mind. (laughs) Go ahead and wait after. In about five minutes, the attorney came out. And it was the best spiritual connection I've ever had with this guy, you know, up to that point. It was just fabulous. And I'm sorry about the guy that showed up, and I didn't, and whatever. But all things work together for good to those who who love him. Give you another one. You know, it says, you shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walking in it, when you turn to the right or turn to the left. And we're drive a lot these days. So getting ready to go out of my uh, driveway, interesting enough, to go see Tim, this guy that was in minimum, is now work release, or he's whatever, and he's in Tri-Cities. And so I'm going to see him. It's a Sabbath afternoon. And I'm driving out with some people in my car. The only way I can get to Tri-Cities is to turn left. And that still small voice said, turn right. Well, Lord... <laughs> This is really dumb. This is a cul-de-sac. I can't get to Tri-Cities if I, could, if I turn right. I just, whatever. So I'm going to look down there and see if there's anything. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to obey right off. I'm just going to look down there, you know, like Jonah. And uh, I looked way down, and uh, three doors down, my neighbor was uh, mowing his lawn. And so I uh, drove down there, and I said, hey, Jim, how's it going? He stops his mower. He comes over. He says, I've just about had it with life. You know, when God prompts you to do something, uh, we need to do it. Um, uh, First point, God has a gift. Same gift he gave to Solomon as ours. Second point, in order to receive this gift, we've got to have humility. Third point, um, I jumped ahead of myself. That's the fourth point. <laughs> we got to follow his advice. My sheep know my voice, and they follow it. 
Okay, so third point. Um, that's the one that talks about quietness, making more distinct the voice of God to the soul. Um, there are two voices. You've noticed that, right? You've noticed that. There are two voices. It's Sabbath afternoon. You're tired. Your wife has made a beautiful meal, or somebody has made a beautiful meal. You push back from the table, and you just want to go over there and lay down on the couch. And the voice of duty, that's God's voice, says, you know, you should just offer to do the dishes for your wife. And immediately you think, that's Satan's voice. <laughs> no, that's not. That's not what you think. You think, I'm too tired. I'm, you know, if I just sit here long enough, she'll do it. I won't have to do it. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, I had a harder week than she did this week. I don't need to do that. And that's what we call, what Ellen White calls, the voice of inclination. It's what we're inclined to do. And if I do what I'm inclined to do, and I go lay down on the couch, and I go to sleep, and I wake up later, oh, I should have moved around a little bit after my meal and, you know, gotten the food going or whatever. And, oh, I just feel terrible. But if you do what the voice of duty says, seems like the boring thing ends up, your wife puts her arm around you and says, honey, thank you so much. What can I do for you? I mean... Good things happen when you follow and listen to the voice of duty versus the voice of inclination. Um, I wrote some things down here. Um, one time, um, I'm going to shut the door here. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> One time, uh, I was, I, I was the weekend of Easter, and I wanted to go see Easter Sabbath sunrise. And so I drove up in the mountains, it's about four in the morning, it's dark and everything, and I'm, but I'm sitting up there beside the road, my little Honda Fit, and in about 10 or 15 minutes, it's still dark, this great, big, beautiful SUV starts coming up the, up the road. And uh, I think, man, I hope they don't hit me or whatever. I better just turn my lights on. So I just flashed my life real, real quick just to let them know that I was there. And they, they passed me by in 15 minutes. A great, huge, like a one-ton pickup comes up. And I did the same thing, flashed my light. and didn't, didn't think anything more about it. And after sunrise... It's Sabbath morning, so I decided to head down, got to teach Sabbath school. And uh, I'm driving down, and these two vehicles had gone uh, ahead of me and quite a long time ago. And as I was driving down the mountain, I saw them both stopped, and it looked like the big SUV's battery was... Um, Although it was brand new, it looked like they was giving a jump with the, with the pickup. just looked like somebody was there. And I, I didn't think anything of it. And as I'm driving the car down, the still small voice says to me with urgency, don't go down there. 
Okay. <laughs> so I just stopped. And one thing I learned about criminals, they're not patient. I found out later on that this was a place where they do drug deals. And the reason they do drug deals uh, uh, up in the mountains is because for 45 minutes they have a chance to see who's ever coming up that particular mountain place. And if any cops come up there or whatever, they can get rid of whatever they need to. And, and so I had flashed my lights at both of these vehicles. And so theoretically I could have had their license plates numbers and all that. And so I just stopped and I didn't know what to do. And so the guy... He starts walking up towards me. And the farther he walked, the more I backed. And we just kind of kept the same distance, you know, going back up the hill. And I think, I can win this race. I can go faster in my fit than he can walk. <laughs> and uh, so he gives that up really quick. And he gets in his one ton and he whips around. I've never seen a pickup whip around so fast in my entire life. And he starts coming up the hill. And I still am a little bit clueless. You know, I don't know that the drug deal's been going down or whatever. And he just passes me. And I wave to him, you know. And then he whips around again. And he's on my tail. And he's going to try to nudge the back of my bumper when we're going around a corner down this steep, this steep gray. All you have to do is just give him a little touch. And that little car will just down, 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 down. And three times this guy tried to kill me. Okay. And the third time, he was just getting ready to ram me when another great, big, huge, one-ton truck comes driving up from the other way. It was right at the point of five, what they used to call five points. Now there's only four points. And this guy comes up. And, of course, you don't want to have any witnesses. And all this time uh, that this guy was trying to kill me with his car, I'm on the phone with 911. I want my wife to know what happened. <laughs> okay. And so I'm on with dispatch and 911. And finally, when this other big pickup came along, the other, the other cars just split. They just went down Blue Creek and got out of there as quick as possible. And I've been real calm all through this thing. And now I just lost it, you know, now that I was in the clear. God wants us to know in advance what to do and what not to do. He wants to give us this gift, this still small voice. In order to read it, in order to have it, we must have humility. In order to have it, we need to be alone with God each day. And in order to continue to have it, we must follow. I, uh, I've had some situations where I haven't wanted to follow. Um, you've had situations too where you think, oh, I'd feel foolish, oh, I'd feel dumb, oh, whatever. I was asked to give a talk to the local Rotary Club here in town. And this guy was kind of an antagonist that was sitting in the audience. Oh, Rotary, uh, Rotary Club, it's a service club, and uh, they do things like build ball fields and do things and whatever. Uh, you'll see a little symbol like a gear, and it will say Rotary. And uh, they're one of the largest service clubs uh, in, the, in the world. Uh, their motto is service above self. Okay, it's not a bad motto. Well, I was asked to give a talk to them. And uh, as soon as I was asked, I, uh, I thought, well, you know, I'll talk about the business or whatever. God spoke to my heart. 
and said, you should be more concerned about their spiritual welfare. You know, Lord, I can't give them the gospel. And so I was Jonah all weekend long until somebody in our little prayer group said to me, well, Mike, couldn't you illustrate the gospel with something from your business? And it was like a light came on. Oh, I could do that. So all week long, I started to get ready and prepare the talk. And as soon as I would start to write the, the talk out, some thought would come along, oh, something that, Somebody that I'd wronged. That you need to go make things right with so-and-so. So I'd go take care of that. And then something else would come up. Something else, something else. Now it's Thursday. And I have nothing to share. Nothing. I don't know what I'm going to do. I try to go out in the park and just get a little bit of, of you know, wisdom. And, and sit down with my Bible. And I'm starting to read, and I can't even make sense of the Bible. I mean, I'm so nervous. I just, I mean, these are my peers. I'm just petrified. And I went, went to the restroom, and in the restroom, somebody had scratched in Fort Walla Walla in the window, Jesus loves you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. So I get up there. I'm sitting at the head table. I still don't have a clue what I'm going to say. And I took a little devotional book with me from Adelaide Esteb. And the text for that particular day, it was uh, August uh, 15, was from Jeremiah 1, verse 7. Say not, I am a little child, but thou shalt go to all whom I send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. It was a text about speaking. And I completely, up to that point, my hands, I mean, if, if you'd take a paper and put it on my hand, it would just stick. It was just, you know, perspiring, terrible. God spoke his word, and it gave me peace. And I did uh, speak that day. And the guy that was the antagonist that would always shout people down or whatever that I was so afraid of, he didn't, he didn't say anything. And it, it was such a blessing. And my secretary, who typed it up uh, afterwards from the recording, she says, you know, Mike, you're usually not that good. <laughs> but she says, all the sentences were pretty well connected. And, uh, yeah, she says it, it came together really good. And another time. I'm getting ready to do a trade show in Chicago. And that still small voice said, you should go talk to Paul Harvey today. Well, Paul Harvey lives in Chicago, and my dad knew him, and I had, had some acquaintance with him. Lord, what am I supposed to say? Ask him, is there something I'm supposed to pray for today? Okay. <laughs> So I go up there, and I get through the first secretary, and I get to his private secretary, and she says, he's seen no one today. He's not dressed for it. He's not ready for visitors. I'm sorry. And I just stand there. I should have been praying, but I just, I just stand there. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do now? I know I was sent here. And it was like somebody put pixie dust on this lady, June Westgard. And she says, but I'm going to slip you in just for a minute. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So I asked uh, Paul, I said, is there anything I'm supposed to pray for? 
Oh, he says, pray that I'll be professionally what I want to be or whatever. And I'm thinking, God didn't send me on an expensive mission just to pray for somebody to be more professional. And so I just stood there again. (laughs) The news hadn't been written yet. He was still working on the news. And I knew I couldn't stay there long because he had to get the news done because he's on a time deadline. And uh, he said, so are you going to stay for the broadcast? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. Because then I knew I'd have five more minutes with him. Because every time you say page two or page three, that really is time for a station break. And they, they give you a, another minute, you know, because while the station is putting their ads on, you get a chance to talk with him. I found out that his contract was up with ABC that day. And he was going in to negotiate this new contract. And he had a Saturday broadcast. And God wanted me to go there to pray for him. Um, one more experience that I had with, with Paul Harvey and the still small voice. Um, this time, I didn't have an appointment. And I was impressed. You need to go see Paul Harvey. Uh, how, how was I impressed? I was down at ASI. Um, I had some work in the Chicago areas. And I'm reading in scripture, and these words just jumped out at me. Your friend and your father's friend do not forsake. Well, he was my father's friend, and I knew who God was talking about. So I went up just to see him. And uh, I, uh, um, I spent a full hour with him that day. And he told me, he said, you can go ahead and leave that door open. <laughs> he said, you know, if you had called for an appointment first, I never would have given you one. He said, I'm not able to entertain people the way I used to. And he says, uh, by the way, it was an answer to prayer, you coming here today. Um, I believe that we will see Paul Harvey in heaven. I believe that there are a number of people. uh, Sometimes um, we forget what Jesus said. Other sheep have I that are not of this fold. But Jesus wasn't content there. He said, them also I must bring. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Okay, so I'm going to take a little break here, and I'm going to ask four questions. How do you know, for example, whether it's God prompting you to do something or Satan prompting you to do something? Has that ever entered your mind? I mean, how how do you know which one is which? Well, you you start with little things, and you and you say, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen to me if I do this? <laughs> you know. And if it's really not too bad, maybe you should just try to do it. You know, if you feel that this is what God is leading you to do or calling you to do or asking you to do, prompting you to do, maybe you should just do that. Um, you know, like today, uh, I wanted to go check on something on the Internet. And that inner, still small voice said, no. No. <laughs> well, uh, this will just take a second. We need to learn to obey. And so I let it go. I mean, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if I don't check on something on the Internet? 
Nothing. <laughs> Nothing bad's going to happen. On the other hand, when God prompts us to do something, um, and he wants us to see somebody or go somewhere or do something, and we're not there, wow, missed opportunity. So, um, one voice seems like the thing you ought to do. The other voice seems like the thing you want to do. <laughs> the voice of inclination. I don't know if that's clear. Any other thoughts or questions at this point? Yes? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So, one night, it was a Saturday night, um, I was supposed to meet a fellow from the State Department and a, a lady and her boyfriend. And we were supposed to have dinner. Actually, I wasn't supposed to have dinner with this guy from the State Department, but he came in unexpectedly. It was in Frankfurt, Germany. And uh, they said, well, couldn't you meet us? We're going to a club. I don't go to clubs, okay? Rotary club, I go to. These kind of clubs, I don't go to. <laughs> Well, you know, it's the only time we're going to be able to see you. So I just sent up a flare prayer. Lord, what should I do? Go. So I asked some of the people there at Marine Hur, uh, what is this club anyway? Oh, that's a gay bar and discotheque. Oh, well, what should I wear? Oh, like wear a suit, but no tie, just collar open and whatever. So they wanted to meet me there at midnight. You say, well, nothing good happens after midnight. Well, if you're on God's mission, you're on God's mission. So I'm walking around <laughs> with this horrible music. And finally, I just went over where some piled of dishes were. And I just said, Lord, if I don't find them in the next two minutes, I'm out of here. I cannot stand being in this place any longer. And within two minutes, they found me. And we sat down. And I was so grateful. And uh, this one fellow was Islamic, and he's smoking, and he's drinking, and he explains, you know, why he's all this bad behavior. And it was a wonderful time. He's a heart surgeon. It was a wonderful time connecting with Faisal. I'd never met him before, never met him since. I always knew his, his wife. And... Um, leaving that place, it's 3.30 in the morning. And I'm walking to my car. And this bum, all covered up, says to me something in German. And I very politely said, 
I'm sorry, I don't speak German. I just kept on walking because I think I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, this, this, it's 3.30 in the morning. There's nobody out on the streets. I'm, you know, my car is way. And so I, uh, I keep on walking. And that still small voice says, go back. Lord, go back. So I go back. I don't even speak German, but we communicate enough to know that this person needed a ride. Because all the trains had stopped running and public transportation and bus and everything. And so I invited this fellow to get in my car. He'll kill me, but okay, maybe that's what it's supposed, supposed to be. So he shuts the door, and this hood comes off of this fellow. It's not a fellow. It's a lady, and there's blood all over her face, fresh blood. And her husband has beaten her. Terribly, and she's just trying to get to a safe place to her girlfriend's house. And so we communicate, you know, sign language and whatever, and writing down the address and whatever. And she tells me left, right, and you know, out of oust and all that. And uh, we finally get there, and I try to tell her, no, you need prayer. And we we haven't been talking two words, you know, but I just decided I'm going to have a prayer, and so I. I showed her like hands, like I'm going to pray. And there was just a look of fear in her eyes. And so I just had a short prayer for her safety and, and for her little boy. And I look over at her, and she's just weeping. I don't know what she heard, but she's just crying. And uh, so she made it, her girlfriend, you know, we connected, and she made it, she made it there. And then I'm, now I'm completely lost. I'm in a part of Frankfurt. I, I don't have a map. I don't know where I'm at. I drive around that city around and around and around. Didn't get any sleep that night. Had to take off to London the next day. But you know what? When you go on God's errands, he gives you the strength. He gives you the energy. He gives you whatever. And he may send you to some places that you don't normally go. You, you may not want to go. But if you follow his still small voice, tremendous blessings will, will happen. When I get to London, my niece has shaved her head bald. Okay? And she's experimenting with all kinds of things and whatever. And she just thought that story was so cool. You know? Um, and so it was a way to connect with, with my niece. Okay, so... I have a handout of these four points and um, the gift that God wants to give to all of us. And uh, the way to keep that gift is to keep spending time alone with God each day. And the way to keep that gift is to have a, or to get the gift in the beginning, is to have a humble uh, attitude with regards to ourselves. You know, Ellen White says, when any measure of success attends the work, Self is ever ready to take the credit. And then, she says, we walk in our own strength instead of the strength of our master. And uh, to keep the gift, when God prompts you to do something, do it. Um, remember what Jesus said to, uh, no, excuse me, what Mary said to the helpers there in John uh, 2, verse 5. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.